You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints of God, we rejoice that the Holy Spirit has for us this morning this gospel reading from Mark chapter 7. We'll walk through it and consider the wisdom and the comfort that the Spirit has for us there. Jesus, the text begins in verse 31. You can see it there in your bulletin. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. This is what the uh, commenters call a travel notice, but it's good for us not only to pay attention where Jesus is, but to pay attention to how the gospel wants us to pay attention to where Jesus is. He's traveling west to east from the Mediterranean Sea, uh, uh, from the sea, past the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Decapolis, the region of ten cities. And this was a heathen place. All the excavations from the cities of the Decapolis have unearthed all sorts of pagan idols. Uh, Zeus and Athena and Artemis and even a Hercules uh, temple that was there. So even though these people of the Decapolis were right there next to Israel. They were pagan people. But still the word of Jesus, the news of Jesus, that this man could heal, had gotten all the way this far. And we want to remember, and I I think this is important for us, that when we read the book of Acts, Jesus says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. We know that the book of Acts is about the expansion of the gospel and the expansion of the church into these places where it wasn't. We want to remember that Jesus in his preaching had already established believers in these places. In fact, probably the first church to be established was in Samaria when Jesus met the woman at the well. And remember, she went and told the people and they came and heard Jesus and all of the city believed in him. So that the church was established there in Samaria before it was established anywhere even in Jerusalem or Judea. And I think the same thing might be true. In fact, and this is maybe one step beyond what the text tells us. But I think that we can consider how These stories, when Mark was writing them down 20 or 30 years later, that these were stories of the people that Jesus had rescued, caused to believe in him, and had established churches. And I wouldn't be surprised if this man that Jesus heals in the text had a house, had a church that met in his house where he would teach the Lord's word and the church was established. There's something else from this text that we want to pay attention to, and that is that that the Scriptures come to us as a historical text, as a historical narrative, or a historical account. Before the Bible is a theology book, the Bible is a history book. It tells us places and people and dates. I think, and and maybe this might just be me, but I think that we often fall into the error of thinking of the Bible like a fairy tale, like Aesop's fables or something like this, or like moral lessons to be learned. But when Mark tells us that Jesus traveled from Tyre and went through Sidon and passed the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis, he's telling us that these things truly happened, that this is a history, that if you want to, you could go and walk the same path from Tyre to Sidon, around the Sea of Galilee, to the Decapolis. You'd end up in Syria, which is not that safe, but you could do it. It's still there today. So the Bible is brought to us as an account of history to believe. And it's true even of these miracles. They are 
histories for us to believe. So these people in verse 32, the people in this heathen region bring to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Matthew tells us, by the way, that when Jesus went over into the Decapolis, he healed all sorts of people. But Mark pulls out one healing for us to consider. For this man, and you've got to think of it, for this man who was deaf and couldn't speak, his tongue was bound. And they know that Jesus, so they bring this man to Jesus, and they asked him to lay his hands on him. And Jesus does. But in a funny way, look at verse 33. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Now, this is, by all accounts, very strange. A very strange healing that Jesus accomplishes. There's one other time that Jesus uses spit to heal a man. He spits on the ground, and he makes mud, and he puts the mud on the blind man's eyes at Bethsaida. But here Jesus spits, at least from the text, it looks like Jesus spits into his hand, and he takes his spit, and he touches the man's tongue. And not only that, Jesus takes his fingers and he puts his fingers into his ears. Uh, the, the Greek is an emphatic sort of thing. He plunged his fingers into his ears. And he does it all where he's away. He takes the man to the side. He, he, he doesn't do it right in the middle of the crowd, but he does it just with this man. And then he looks up to heaven and, and he sighs and then he says, Ephaphatha, that's an Aramaic word that means be opened. Now why? Why does Jesus go through all of these elaborate procedures to heal the man? We know that Jesus could have simply healed him by, by speaking a word. He could have just said, Ephaphatha, be opened. He could have just willed it to happen, and it would have happened. Why, why does Jesus go through all this stuff, putting the fingers in the ears and the spit and everything like this? I don't know. I was hoping one of you guys knew. <laughs> It, I, I suppose there's no reason, at least given to us in the text, it doesn't tell us why Jesus does this, but it, it is there for us to meditate on because I think, I think that Jesus is always surprising us, and I think the lesson that the Holy Spirit has for us to consider is this, and, and think about this, this is really quite amazing, that the Lord Jesus is pleased to deal with each one of us differently. That Jesus takes each one of us aside from the crowd. And he gives each one of us what we need. Now we know that there is one faith, one doctrine, one baptism, one church, one Lord Jesus Christ, but there are differences. There are different gifts, there's different lives, there's different sufferings, there's different lessons that the Lord Jesus has for each one of us. If we're parents, you know about this, there's differences in each of your children, and you you know that each child has to be dealt with and handled differently. So the Lord knows each one of us. And He knows that each one of us needs to be dealt with differently. 
But Jesus knows that this man, he could have simply spoken and he would have been healed, but Jesus knew that this man would be better served with his fingers in his ears and his spit on his tongue. And he also knows what is best for you. And what is best for me? Your Lord Jesus drags each one of you through your life in a very different way. None of our lives look the same. None of our histories and our stories are the same. None of our sufferings and our joys are the same. None of our names are the same. And Jesus knows it. And he knows and he and he uses it to bless us. There's a way that we look at each other and we say, "Boy, I wish that that was me, or we look at someone else and we say, boy, I'm glad that that is not me. We know this about ourselves. We know that the Lord hands us different things than he hands other people. But we rejoice to know in this text that that's how he wants it to be. And that everything that the Lord Jesus is giving to you, he is giving to you for your benefit. All the joys and all the sufferings, all the pains, all the lessons, all the gifts. Your life is specially uh, curated by your Lord Jesus to give you exactly what you need. Jesus says, verse 34, which is, be opened. Now, this is, by the way, it's verses like this that we think that most of the teaching of Jesus was done in Aramaic, even though the Gospels are given to us in Greek. If Jesus would have ever had occasion to speak Greek, it would have been when he was in the Decapolis, these Greek pagan cities. But still he speaks in Aramaic, be opened. And I think it's wonderful to imagine, I mean, just imagine being this deaf man, looking at the world and seeing people's mouths move, but not being able to hear anything. And then here his friends come, and they're excited, and there's all this commotion. And they come and they drag him before this Jewish rabbi. And this Jewish rabbi looks at him and pulls him aside and puts his fingers in his ear and touches his tongue. You have to think that he's freaking out a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the first words that he's ever heard right from those lips, Ephaphatha. And he can hear. We have to be careful, by the way, whenever we're studying the parables, that we don't make them into allegories. But we want to let this parable remind us of the scriptural truth that the hearing of God's word is a supernatural gift. That that just as Jesus opened this man's ear to hear God's word, so the Holy Spirit has to open our ears to hear God's word. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man, the natural mind, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, nor can it. So that the Holy Spirit has to open our ears so that we can hear and believe God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, and hearing by the Word of God. And that's true even for this deaf man. It's at the word of Jesus that his ears are opened, and it's at the word of Jesus that our ears are also open to hear and to believe what God says. I've been studying, I think I told you guys this, I've been studying recently uh, St. Paul's prayer for the church. St. Paul's always praying, uh, and he's always writing what he prays for. He has 13 letters, and 
in those 13 letters, he writes 18 times about how he prays for the church. And almost all of his prayers are the same prayer. He prays that the church would have the Holy Spirit, Christians would have the Holy Spirit, so that they could hear and believe God's Word. Because Paul knows that apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't believe anything that God says. Paul knows that it's a miracle that there's a church in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and in Corinth and wherever else it is. Paul would know that it's a miracle that there's churches in Aurora and Denver and all over the world. That each one of you, and I'm included in this, that the fact that we believe in Jesus, that we believe God's word, is a miracle worked by the Holy Spirit who has opened our ears to be able to hear these things. Jesus says it, to open this man's ears to hear, and Jesus says the same thing to us. He also opens our ears to hear. But even though Jesus has opened this man's ears, then tries to close his mouth. Verse 35 says, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, he could speak plainly, but then verse 36, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Jesus, especially at the beginning of the Gospels, whenever he heals someone, tries to keep a lid on it. He tries to keep it secret. Now we have another question here, why Jesus does this. And again, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's mostly practical reasons. Jesus, we want to remember, came to teach. He didn't come to heal. I mean, this man benefited from Jesus' presence, but not all of us have the same benefits. Some of us will go deaf or we'll go blind, or we'll go mute, and Jesus is not here to heal us. The benefit, the ongoing benefit of Jesus' ministry is his teaching. But it seems to me like whenever anybody comes to Jesus with any need, he simply cannot help himself from healing them. So the man comes, please heal him, and he heals them. And when that happens, they start to bring in crowds of people to be healed, and so much so that Jesus can't teach, he can't even sleep, and he has to leave one place and go to another. So it's a practical reason. Keep it quiet. I'm here to bless you with my teaching. But the news of it spreads. It always spreads. And the news is a particular news in this case. It says, verse 37, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So the name of Jesus is praised, even in this heathen place, the Decapolis. So the name of Jesus is exalted by the people who did not believe or have the forgiveness of sins until Jesus came and brought them to this. And they then made the good confession, he has done all things well. Dear saints, this is our Christian confession as well. Jesus has done all things well. We might when we look around at our lives, to think that this is not true. That Jesus has done some things well, but some things he seems to have done poorly. 
we would have done them differently. We would have avoided that sickness. We would have swerved around that suffering. We would have arranged things so that it didn't go this way or that. We might have created a world where it was impossible to fall, or a place where death didn't exist, or to have life that you have. But by faith, we stand and confess that Jesus did all things well. Because the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, has also given us all things. We realize, and this is a, this is a, a unique Christian perspective on this life, right? We realize that because God the Father has handed his son over to the cross for our forgiveness, and because he has made a way from death to life so that we will live forever, that everything that comes to us in this life comes to us as a gift. Even the bad stuff. Even the suffering. Even the loss. He, here it is again, Paul said it, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also together with him give us all things? So that everything that we have comes from the hand of Jesus who loves you. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And in the midst of the darkness and trouble of this world, we stand and confess with our brothers and sisters in the Decapolis that Jesus has done all things well. That he was born for us. That he died for us. That he was raised for us on the third day. That he ascended into heaven. That he prays for us. And that he continues to forgive our sins and bless us with this life. He has done all things well. And on the last day, when Jesus calls us up out of the grave and we look back on this life that we're living full of trouble and sorrow, we will say the same thing. He has done all Because Jesus loves you and blesses you and serves you. Because He has had compassion on you to forgive your sins and open your ears to hear His word. He has done all things well. God be praised. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.